0: <laughs> Hi, this is Alan, and this is Leon. Welcome to Seize the Moment Podcast, and today we have a very special guest.
1: So today we have on Jesse Ministo, who is a former CIA analyst, a former Google Fellow, and a former member of the editorial board of the Democratic, well, the Democratic Left, which is the magazine, the official magazine of the Democratic Socialist of America. Yeah. Hey, Jesse.
2: Hey, guys, thanks for having me on.
1: Thank you so much for, for coming on. on. So, and today we're gonna talk about nuanced thinking, conformity, and Dabrowski's theory of positive disintegration.
0: Which is That's a very great. cool article, by the way. Uh, Leon referred me to it uh, before this podcast. It's super interesting. And I like that quote from uh, George Bernard Shaw. Uh, oh. n- not to see reality uh, as it is, but how you uh, wish it to be. I'm, I'm kind of uh, not saying it verbatim. Mm-hmm. But no. It's... Oh, sorry. Go ahead.
2: No, go. Uh, sorry. Um, <laughs> I, yeah, you, it's, you got the idea. I mean, who, the, the, the exact quote isn't that important, but being able to see possibilities in the world and our ability to affect change.
0: Yeah, absolutely. And um, one thing that I was really excited to talk to you about, um, because when uh, Leon was telling me about um, who would be great to have on the podcast, he was saying, oh, Jessie, like we work together and she talks a lot about divergent thinking, about nuanced thinking. And for me, that's a topic that's really hits close to home because I notice, like, and I'm sure everyone notices this in their daily lives. There's um, people have different kinds of ways of thinking about things, and a lot of people uh, tend to pick a side when they're when they're thinking. They they may, um, and not to harp too much on this, but let's say politics, for instance. Not mm-hmm. to get into politics or anything like that, but let's say somebody is uh, on the left, another person's on the right, and one person says a particular view on the left, and automatically. Um, because you're on the right side, you may not uh, even hear their point, you may not even consider it. But what would what's interesting is, yeah, when you try to think about why is the other person thinking what they're thinking? What is their view? what Why do they see the value in it? Are they so different from how I am? Perhaps maybe there's uh, there's there's something there that maybe I should try to understand. Um, that's why kind of nuanced thinking is very uh, important because, I mean if you really want to understand somebody you really should probably try to understand why it is that they think the way they do and I was wondering what what you think about nuanced thinking
2: I love what you said um, I completely agree and I think it's really a thing that isn't in vogue today um, as much as we now divergent thinking when you talk about that people who know the term are like oh yeah divergent thinking that's great we love that but in reality, um, as someone who has come to describe myself as a natural divergent thinker, and have had, you know, government officials saying like, "Yes, that is that is what you are. Let us <laughs> figure out how to use you." It. Um, <laughs> um, it's not all. It doesn't make you uh, that popular um, unless someone really sees the value in it, which is exactly what you just said, right? Like the reason divergent thinking, one of the many reasons divergent thinking is great, is because. Um, you're able to see other possibilities to step away from the right answer and in politics we see right answers too based on our uh, our tribe to use that word I know a lot of people hate it but our 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 goals our team whatever and we kind of do a little bit of groupthink, and we have our shared values and you don't want to question the values but without questioning the values you can come to see Oh, how might that other side, the other team, the people I hate, you know, because they don't think the right things? What might we actually have in common? Um, So uh, I'm—I was a leadership analyst for the CIA, and my job was to write biographies of foreign leaders for our, uh, you know, for U.S. officials to use before they met them or. That's really cool. (laughs) And it does involve, you know, thinking about these these leaders who we may not like, who may be part of a hostile government and trying to see the world from their perspective. And so you're doing this while you're like in a very patriotic organization. You're there probably because you're patriotic, but you're also trying to say like, okay, but here's how they see the world. Don't hate me. I'm just trying to tell you how they see it. Um, And I love that. (laughs) I honestly love that. Um, So yeah, I could ramble on 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 so many different
0: things. It humanizes them, right? Yeah. So what's that? It, it humanizes them. Like when you see it from their side, you could see like, oh wow, th- this person's not, they're not so different from me because of right. the way that their life went and uh, what they, the choices they made, it, it's actually more understandable when you really suss out all the uh, things that they went through, Right. which yeah. is very interesting.
2: And that, yeah, putting together someone's biography, you see why they developed the way they did. And if you had developed in that country in that time period under those conditions, would you be any different? Um, Probably not. No,
1: and that's not and again and I love that we're focusing on nuance and divergent thinking this does not excuse their behavior so to understand and this is the common sort of misconception that people have that oh if I empathize with somebody and understand why they're such a terrible person I'm excusing away their actions not at all what we're doing here so what we're doing is we're trying to understand why they do what they do in order to maybe figure out a way to help them and so
0: yeah what's funny is you explaining that (laughs) is very nuanced (laughs) right right? if someone can process that information then (laughs) what they're engaging in is nuanced thinking which is very fascinating yeah
1: and and so i think like so when i deal with let's say with particular clients or just sometimes people in general Mm -hmm. my biggest struggle with them is usually black and white thinking this idea of either everything is good or everything is bad this person is good this person is terrible this person let's say is brilliant or this person is stupid and Mm -hmm. very rarely is life as let's say very rarely is life on that kind of scale it's usually way more complex and intricate than that so. People
2: are really uncomfortable with shades of gray, but it's the reality we live in, um, but it's much more comfortable. We feel like we have more control. We feel like we have more uh, ability to, f- to figure out the path to follow if one is black and one is white.
0: Yeah. One thing that um, why I'm also excited to talk to you about uh, nuanced thinking is I was wondering if in your writing, in your experience, if you've ever um, maybe considered how could we get nuanced thinking to be like a mainstream thing that people do cuz that that one is like that's something i i really really would love to do i was just wondering what is what is what do you have to do is it like a way that you frame it is it like do you have to use specific language for like a certain kind of audience uh, or do you have to sprinkle it in a little bit i don't know yeah
2: I think you, you jumped in with the most important and most difficult question, honestly. Um, I think that a lot of it, it, I think basically it comes down to a value to having an environment where we do value. I mean, this is why we have free speech in this country. And I am a person who is is a defender of free speech, which has become controversial in some circles. Mm-hmm. Um, but the reason we have it is because we want to be able to expose uh, alternate ways of thinking and it is it is something we have come to hold as a value. Like, no, we will demonstrate critical thinking, we will demonstrate standing up and saying our views and respecting views that we may disagree with. There are some that are you know abhorrent and maybe we draw the line somewhere. That's not an issue I'll I'll get into right now because it's it's very difficult. But I do think that holding on to that as a value, um, which is this gets back to what is divergent thinking. Um, It's Being a devil's advocate is a form of divergent thinking, uh, or it's related to it, I guess you could say, Um, and being able to say, okay, I see my side, I think my side is right, but I really want to make sure it's right Um, in the tradition of of Mm -hmm. the school of of philosophy, right? That's what philosophers have been doing back since Socrates. and we're the type of people who're like, yeah, we love Socrates and other people. Like my husband <laughs> will remind me, you know, Socrates was a fist magnet. He was really going to be around. Really <laughs> yeah, want to punch him if, if you met him. Right. Um, but so con- let's. This is where I think it, it's it's good to put in a little bit of a backdrop: um, divergent thinking and convergent thinking. Um, as much as I'm a champion of divergent thinking and a natural divergent thinker. Um, they're not opposed. They're two different tools and you, you need to use both. You need your left hand and your right hand, right? Um, and conversion thinking is about solving a problem and getting the right answer, uh, the best correct answer, that is, one that is efficient and effective and gets you quickly toward your goal. And, you know, defining your goal is a different issue. And maybe our different sides, our, different, you know, our opponents have different goals. You know, one wants the United States to win and one wants Russia to win or whatever, uh, Republicans and Democrats, whatever. Um, but that that type of trying to find the right answer is not generally a creative thing. It's about applying expertise that you've earned uh, over you know hard work, knowledge, and skills. And the thing is, our education system really trains us very well with convergent thinking for getting the right answer, right? It's in the back of the book. You can mm-hmm. work it out and then you can check it and see if you got it. And that's convergent thinking. Um, and we're not as good, I would say, at teaching divergent thinking. Um, which is also a really useful thing. It's about imagining all the different possibilities and it's slower and it's messier and it's creative, right? It's what creative people do. Um, and I think, you know, to use an example that was important to me and in, in as I was working um, as an intelligence analyst that everyone will be familiar with is, um, so you're always looking for the right answer about what's happening in the world. You're not You don't want to create an imaginary country and tell policymakers about that. They don't care. But you do want to anticipate, you want to imagine things that haven't happened yet. And the archetype nowadays is, of course, the act of imagining that someone would use a plane filled with fuel as a bomb. And uh, if you had imagined that on September 10th, 2001, that would have been divergent thinking and everyone would have been like, whatever, like, who's going to do that? Wait, wait, maybe someone could do that. Maybe we should consider that possibility. Mm -hmm. Um, And so, like, only... Two percent. This is. So I learned this in, in in a creativity class I took at CIA, which uh, I wrote about at Third Factor, and and they actually presented at South by Southwest. These are amazing people. So they're putting this out there. They want other people to know, excuse me, to know about it. Um, and the in knowledge professions like here in in Washington D.C. and think tanks, um, it's only about two percent of the time, according to studies. I don't have the study, but I was told in the class. Uh, only 2% of the time do people engage in divergent thinking. And it really should be closer to 20% divergence and 80% convergence. Maybe even a little higher if you're an actual divergent thinker. And that's because convergence takes a lot longer uh, and it's harder work, for, especially if you like like brainstorming. But you still need to be doing it at least a fifth of the time. But, so getting back to this like nuance and the political culture today and trying to make this sort of... Um, nuanced thinking a value and (laughs) encouraging people to do it um, you you have to demonstrate that um, okay like I am thinking of a different thing that could happen than what maybe my side is um, is anticipating or I can imagine a situation that maybe isn't what exactly we uh our side portrays as, as the narrative and what the other side portrays as the narrative like what are the what are the actual narratives like let's imagine it let's imagine curveballs let's imagine problems um, and then some of this gets into it's not just divergence um but it there's, there's a lot of other things too but the way that divergence comes in is is just the person who does come up with the things that don't really fit for your plan because let's face it like if there were a perfect plan for the world with this much human history, we'd probably be closer to getting it. And we still have all these problems. And maybe that's because of power relations and greed and all these other things that are part of humanity. Um, But no one's figured out how to solve those yet. Um, But if you wanna advance that, you have to figure out the problems with your, your argument. And you have to say that to your side. And sometimes your side is so eager to get a solution made and done and take action that they don't want to hear that. Uh, they don't want to hear the weaknesses in, in their own side. Um, like this happens, you know, um, this is so I am a, I am a democratic socialist and I would blame a lot of these, these people for the reason that socialism and and communism went down the path it did. I can't say whether it it would have worked in an alternate universe, but Mm -hmm. it really didn't have to go as badly as it did. But like, some pe my my husband is a is a Chinese scholar and he was telling me just the other day about um, an official who said to Mao like hey maybe actually this thing you're doing it's not really gonna work and like that was bad for him because mm-hmm. Mao didn't want to hear those divergent possibilities and hear the nuances in his plan
1: mm-hmm. so.
2: Um, I'm kind of rambling. I know. <laughs> no, it's okay. okay. It's
0: okay.
1: No. Um, um, <laughs> and, so, I mean just kind of going to current events or rather I mean sort. go ahead. You actually. Are, yeah, sorry. Sure, yeah, sure, wrongly, sure, sure.
0: Ahead. So are you aware of uh, Steven Pinker?
2: Uh, I, I'm aware of him. I haven't read any of his work or seen any of his talks.
0: So um, he has this uh, site. Uh, it's called gapminder.org. On there he, he has uh, graphs that kind of trace uh, human progress, mortality. Um, things along those lines pollution all that uh, over the past I would say well don't quote me on this uh, I believe it's 5200 years and supposedly things in the world have gotten better than you know over time would you say that okay and this is really I'm really stretching here but with the advent of the internet with our ability to communicate um let's say a certain uh forms of knowledge, or let's say even this conversation here, would you yeah. say that maybe we're inching towards like more uh, progress on that front, or uh, I, I don't know, that might be too much of a stretch for me. Mm-hmm.
1: Well, do you um, mean in terms of what, divergent thinking?
0: N- yeah, in terms of divergent mm-hmm. thinking, in terms of at least getting the most, uh, and uh, this is debatable whether or not it's the most essential knowledge, but... I would argue that the most essential knowledge is not yet made widely available, mm-hmm. but with the internet, with more and more people around the world getting uh, access, let's say, then people who are into a particular n- uh, niche right. kind of get into that, and then this you know audiences grow, and then maybe uh, one you know we'll have like somebody like a Joe Rogan who's more of on the entertainment side of things, but will still be kind of a divergent thinker. Right. Then you might have. Uh, um, it depends who, who you want to go with. Let's say Sam Harris. Mm-hmm. I don't know. Yeah. Um, I I don't wanna say Peterson. Oh, man, God. God. Alan loves Jordan Peterson. <laughs> well from the clinical side of things, not the <laughs> sure. Uh, don't get me on the political <laughs> part of it. But yeah. um yeah, so I don't know. Um I, I feel like there's this sort of I don't know, would you say that there's a progress being made on that front or
1: I mean
2: That's a great question, and I actually am a lot more pessimistic than that. Um, I mean, I know Pinker's thesis that humanity is doing better than it ever has been, and I think that may be true. I think as someone who grew up in the 1990s, I feel like our generation was probably the most comfortable generation at the top of a quality of life roller coaster, and like many people today, I'm a little bit afraid of dropping off that cliff. With oh, wow. all the flooding in the, you know, uh, middle America and bees dying off and monarch butterflies are going extinct and there's like plastic islands in the Pacific. So I'm also like, right. I think about that. Um, I don't know if if things are going to continue getting better, but that's, I'm just nervous about that. I'm not an expert and I won't talk about it.
0: But that's fair, um, yeah.
2: But I will say that, because um, you were talking about the internet, and I do have some knowledge about that. When I was doing my Google fellowship, which was, I wasn't an employee of Google, but I was funded by Google to do some some research um and so i read at that time there was a book that was new this was 2011 called um i think it was called the filter bubble at least the concept was from the the filter bubble and this is now uh widely known right because we have the algorithms that give us our in groups and feed us reinforcement for our ideas rather than exposing us to other ideas um and i've even so i've gotten because i am a person who's defensive of free speech and Uh, because of some of my experiences in the democratic socialists of america uh which was became its own bubble online um i got into the sort of like oh yeah no critical thinking and the grievance scholars who are like oh we have to have critical thinking in the intellectual dark web which i don't say i'm part of but i was like oh i want this is a counterweight for me bit the basic way that i am I will always adopt the other side. I'm a natural devil's advocate, so I know about, like, when you say Socrates was a fist magnet, like, I'm like that. I just annoy everybody because mm-hmm. I'm like, well, I, I'm with you, but, but, and that's probably how I became a socialist in the first place, you know, like, being raised in the United States after the collapse of the Soviet Union, like, why would you be anything but a capitalist? But then, I mean, okay, so this was post-2008, mm-hmm. uh, people start seeing that maybe there are flaws, and I started being interested in those flaws, and it's all about counterbalancing, right? So. When you're in your group, um, most people, in my experience, are enjoying that group feeling and solidarity and shared purpose, and those are really important for people's lives. And I get why people will join a group like the Democratic Socialists of America and find you know, find their tribe. And they're excited, and they have, because people are lonely. Like so many people who came into DSA at that time were college students who had just moved to a big city, and they just were lost. Um, I think this can apply to a lot of different movements, uh, online, people who feel weird, uh, and the internet makes it easier to find people who are having those same struggles. Mm-hmm. Um, so that's one thing, but, but sticking with the political stuff, right? Um, the, you have, um, sorry, I have too many, too many thoughts. Yeah, same here. Same It's, here. A lot.
1: <laughs> it's hard to narrow
2: it down. But Um, so you have these filter bubbles, right? And people get in them because they're comfortable and then Twitter gives you more of that. Oh, you liked that? Here's more. So sometimes I'll just like, like something because I think it's a good point and not because I agree with it. Um, or Facebook, right? Like it shows you the people who are your friends. And I think that for me, uh, that is the thing I'm, I'm particularly concerned about in this area and why I think it's really hard to have nuance because, people don't come, they come in, whether they know it or not, in a lot of cases, I suspect, because they're tired and they just want kind of like, maybe they've had a bad day, maybe at work they got challenged and they, or they met somebody who had a political opinion that made them uncomfortable and they're seeing like all the bad stuff in the world. And, you know, as people who are on the left, we have to remember that people on the right also look and they're like, oh my god, look at those liberals, they're ruining everything. So this is, this is a shared human experience. I'm just talking about the feeling, a feeling like the world is falling apart. And you come in and you just want to solve it and you want to be with people who are going to help make it a better place. Mm -hmm. Um, And you don't want the nuance. You don't want someone to come in and say something like, just to throw out an idea that I'm not sure what I think about yet, but like, oh, I'm for, you know, I'm concerned about global warming. So actually nuclear energy, maybe we should rethink that. Like, Mm -hmm. no, that's not part of the... Uh, orthodox thinking. And I don't know whether it should be, but it should be something that, you know, someone's able to say like, excuse me, why not? And you should be able to say, oh, here's why not. Or if you can't say why not, then you maybe should stop and think why not. Um, Or just stop and say that, I don't know, I just want to support the environment and I'll defer to someone else on that. That's okay too. Um, But our emotions make it harder for us to do that.
1: Right, and I so, think it pops up especially in the context of capitalism versus communism. So, yeah. interestingly enough, so I'm also a, I'm also officially a DSA member, and I am a democratic socialist. So, as cool. obviously as Jesse knows, so but the thing is, one of my favorite books on communism is actually a book by a conservative scholar named Richard Pipes, and Richard Pipes is like. Incredibly hated on the left, like he's he's just like completely repugnant by mo- by most of the people yeah. on the left. So he wrote a book called Communism: A History, which is I think give or take about a hundred and maybe forty, fifty-seven page, like a hundred fifty-seven page mm-hmm. book, something like that. So yeah. and the good well, so the goodness about the book is that and this is what people sort of hate on the left is he actually gives a pretty balanced exploration of communism. So the, I mean obviously he talks about the different atrocities that on the left they are either kind of you know excluded or watered down. But on top of that he actually focuses on Marxist theory. And so in the book he'll actually say look if you actually go to Marxist theory, communi- the manifestation of it in terms of the Soviet Union, right in terms of sort of Pol Pot and you know communist let's say uh, Castro Cuba. So the idea was. That essentially those manifestations weren't anywhere near the ideal of communism as explo- as sure. right, as expounded by Marx. Mm-hmm. But the idea was that essentially what we do is again, going back to black and white thinking, we say because communism sort of brought about the deaths of all of these different people, which is absolutely true, but not in the sense that we think of it, that therefore it is a bad thing. But the thing is when we think about Karl Marx and his conception of Marxism, nowhere and I'm look, I'm not a scholar of Karl Marx by any means, mm-hmm. but nowhere does Karl Marx advocate for for violence. Nowhere does he advocate for murder. Actually, what he says is that this was a scientific revolution, which is naturally going to occur. So he doesn't say that we ought to make this happen, right, by sort of any means necessary. But he says that it's going to be a natural progression of the way the world works. Scientifically speaking, I don't necessarily agree with that, because it's very hard to prove something scientifically, especially when free will is taken into consideration. So you can disagree with him there. But to say that Marx and communism was the result of all of this bloodshed really sort of doesn't take into account the fact that Stalinism, Leninism, Mao These are all various manifestations and I would even argue bastardizations of Marxism. But the thing is that we do, right, is we say capitalism is good because it's this free economy that allows anybody to prosper. Bullshit. And then on the other hand, you have these sort of totalitarian regimes, which in the context of Marxist theory don't even make any sense. Because Marx said that at the end of it all, there was not even supposed to be a state. It was supposed to be a sort of stateless land, right? We we were the sort of the solidarity of all of the workers of the world. So technically speaking, totalitarian governments weren't even a part of it. And so just, and this is kind of me rambling, but I think it's really important in the context of, let's say, the DSA and even sort of thinking on the right, is that it doesn't really make much sense to hate, you know, kind of pure capitalism or pure communism, whatever that even is, because at the end of the day, there are really elements of both that are actually necessary for a good life. Because if you really do take a look at the socialist countries, a lot of them are in peril for the simple fact that people aren't able to start their own businesses, for the simple fact that the government is too intrusive and too involved in their lives. And obviously with capitalism, I mean, yes, we struggle here, because, you know, sometimes and especially in this country, there isn't enough government aid, especially when people with physical or mental disabilities
0: absolutely mm-hmm. need it. So, if if I understood correctly what you just said, basically you're saying Marxism's uh, sorry, Marx's uh, concept of uh, communism versus how it was executed. Yes. There's that. There's a large gap there. Right. His concept of it is, if I'm understanding correctly, yeah. fantastic. It's great. Right. Um, how it's been executed over the years. This kind of Destroyed how it looks in in the public eye. Right. Well, I don't uh, mean, on the surface. I'm, I
1: would even be hesitant to say that it's fantastic just because Marx was actually very vague in his writing, and so nobody right. And it's very even hard to define what communism specifically is. But of course, all of these tyrants said, "Oh, we know what it is, and we know how to bring it about." Mm-hmm. Right. But nowhere does Marx actually advocate for killing a bunch of people and saying like this is how we're supposed to implement it. Mm-hmm. So it's sort of left up to the reader to decide how to do it. So, but we tend to say like, okay, let's throw the baby out with the bath water. And this is something that Alan and I talked about last week in our other show, about sort of this idea of um, let's say, like, I'm not a huge fan of, like, like, Eckhart Tolle, right? But I do love a lot of his concepts, and so does Alan. And Alan is actually a really big fan of his. So for me, it would have been very easy to say, like, oh, well, you know, he's spiritual, you know, he's into sort of Eastern philosophy, therefore I'm going to throw everything that he says out. That doesn't make any sense because there's so many great concepts that he talks about, it's just that I don't agree with maybe the, mo- the majority of them. However, I I will not throw him out with the bathwater, you know, kind of so to speak because there's so much good to take with that. Which is a demonstration of divergent thinking. Right, right. Yeah.
2: Yeah. Well, and what you're doing here is you're able to come in and say like, oh, like Edgar Toll or Karl Marx or whoever, I have an opinion about that person because I don't necessarily agree with most of what they said. But let's put that aside. Let's just take the idea out. And say, do I agree with this idea or not? Right. Um, just because someone who we think is awful said something doesn't mean that that particular argument was evil. Like the it's mm-hmm. the Hitler was a vegetarian thing. Like that doesn't mean vegetarianism. <laughs> yes. Well, yes. You know, <laughs> to go right to the reducto ad Hitlerum right away. Like, mo, it's it's the the thing that's bad is is murdering people. <laughs>
1: yes. <laughs> like, yes.
2: Let's not do that. Right. Um. So. Um. Yeah. So you really just have to be able to to talk about the ideas and I think getting at the values and I think that talking about uh Karl Marx or the I, the, so, the history of socialism it's very important to start again like you said how do we how do we get nuance out there how do we get you know so whatever you're solving problems you got to really talk about your values and put them uh, out there and be really ready to advocate for them and and see where your your value that you're putting first and foremost you know whether it's caring for other people and like uh, or whether it's building the economy and maximizing profit, probably all of those do some good, but they're all going to lead you imperfectly to the good life. You're going to have to compensate for something later, uh, but your value may be what we need at that time. Um, and I think that that that's where nuance and 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 seeing being able to get away from the the party line. The party line is is convergent thinking gone too far, and without necessarily science to back it up. Um, and so. Uh, but I should be this what you were talking about made me think of a story uh, the way, you know, the, trying to understand communism in in this time period in the history of the left and democratic socialism, which, of course, DSA was founded as a anti-communist socialist organization. There's all these Oh That's in the
1: so back. interesting. I didn't know that.
2: Yeah. Michael Harrington wow. was was they I mean they were out there saying like, look, Um, no to the Soviet Union, that's Mm -hmm. not what we want, um, they did it wrong. I also am thinking of like someone who was there at the time, uh, look up the story of Yuli or Julius Martov, Mm uh, he was the leader of the Mensheviks Mm -hmm. and at one of the, you know, after, as the revolution is unfolding, uh, and the various socialist parties are getting together, uh, and Lenin and the Bolsheviks are just like, they're doing, I don't even remember what they did, uh, they did something that was anti-democratic and Martov, Marches out and they're spitting at him as he leaves and he says, I don't remember the direct quote, but it's powerful and it's along the lines of one day you're going to realize what you've done here and you're, you are destroying our ideals because he was acting based on his values Mm -hmm. and he was able to say, okay, based on my values, like my group is doing this or like my larger group of the left that's in power. Uh, is doing this but this is diverting from something that's very important a value that should be at the top of our list right. um, And now people don't really know him, but if you are interested right. in the history of the left, it's worth uh, it's worth learning his story It's, it's not a happy one yeah. um, and We Want to not you know, <laughs> maybe we should listen to those people when they show up But we don't and, because they are the ones who point out. Hey my side. We're missing something really important right. We're gonna go astray
1: and did you read that New York Times story last year about um, who was it? It was the young Chinese activist who, after actually reading Marx, ended up protesting against the Chinese government. And it's like, what the hell? So they're yeah. really right. Because I mean, and there are people who argue that essentially China doesn't have a communist society. What they actually sure. have is totalitarian capitalism. So all sure. of the kids who are pretty much, you know, kind of from birth on are taught to read Marx, they're like, wait a minute this is what Marx advocates for. This is the structure of our government. It's time to rebel. Mm -hmm. And it's like, they're like, what the hell is going on? Like, how is that even possible? That was so funny.
2: Yeah. China is not, uh, again, I don't, not an expert on this, but according to my, my husband, like, they are like, maybe don't, maybe don't read Marx. Maybe Mm -hmm. like, just like, don't look over, like, stop. Don't stand behind the curtain. Um, so Uh, But and then so this is a story that I think is really interesting, uh, because even diversion thinkers and like those of us who are, oh, I want to like think differently. I love Socrates. Yay. Mm -hmm. Um, We also can get into groupthink. We have to be careful to like sometimes say, okay like I see your nuance, but no, I'm going to stick to my ground like this is there's no right answer to this. And what people are trying to do is find the right answer, like when they should do it. You have to have the sophistication and the gut feeling and learn how to follow that. Um, to to be Martov and to say, okay, you know, when do I, when's the time to speak up and when do I accept trade-offs? But, um, so, but, uh, so the Divergent Thinkers, um, a group that I was really comfortable in was DSA before Trump, before we exploded. For those who don't know, um, the Democratic Socialists of America was founded by a merger of two previous socialist organizations in 1982, um and it's been a really small organization up up till 2016 uh because for obvious reasons you know like who's going to be a socialist in post soviet america yeah um until the day trump was elected and that day our membership just started like exponentially increasing uh and and people were joining who were like Marxist leninists who again like shouldn't properly have been part of dsa Uh, you know, we were not an organization that used hammers and sickles. Like we were against, we were against that. Um, but now it was just like the socialist organization to join and people were wanting to call themselves socialists. And this was sort of because of Bernie's campaign, but it was also a bunch of people who were like, no, Bernie's too far to the right. (laughs) Like, you know, <laughs> down with Bernie Sanders, he's <laughs> rightist. Um, so but not all of them. But um, I'm just saying, like, those people would historically have snubbed DSA, and now we had everyone coming in. Yeah. Everyone's coming in, including, like, people who are social democrats and, like, all the whole spectrum of the left, and we just exploded. We, like, quintupled in size in a very short time, in a number of months. Uh, so that totally changed the organization. Now, going back to when I joined in 2013, before it was that type of organization, um, it was a lot of older 60s radicals, you know, and when I came into my first meeting, which was just like a discussion forum about ideas, which of course is what drew me in, I'm like, oh, I want to hear about like capitalism has problems, like what are your solutions? What do you propose? And that's what I showed up at. I thought it was great because the type of people who came to join a socialist organization in the United States Uh, Before the Bernie campaign, were the divergent thinkers. They were the people who were about nuance, who could say like, yes, the Soviet Union was like largely responsible for terrible things and did like horrible things that we can never say were in any way okay. But occasionally, but like there are these other little things that we should consider. Like maybe we can take those good things out and like dump all the poisonous crap. Like, is there a way to do that? Let's try to figure it out. But but didn't have to be apologists for like Stalinist atrocities. Um, and those people had to be divergent thinkers and they had to be for nuance. Otherwise they couldn't be socialists with that kind of, uh, history that they had to carry on their shoulders. Um, and so I loved those people. Like those were my kindred spirits just as a divergent thinking devil's advocate who always like takes the, uh, contrary side. Um, and who was worried about capitalism post 2008. Those are my people. Um, and it was a different sort of group. It was more the echo chamber feeding uh, off of anger, righteous anger, anger that is legitimate, um, but that didn't necessarily allow the nuance that could lead to another situation where a Martov needs to stand up and say like, you guys are going off the rails. Um, and that I think is a, I, I worry about as, as a person of the left, I worry about that um, because it, it has happened before and it can certainly happen again. And those filter bubbles on social media are not going to help. Uh, they'll they'll probably derail other, other groups, but the left just, there's something about the left that, I mean, we're, we're so idealistic. We're so about making the world a better place that like yeah. other people who purportedly don't have that as their goal as much. Um, I mean, it, it's, I'm a leftist, so it hurts It hurts especially with the left, and mm-hmm. we we shouldn't let that happen. We should learn from this, but we keep not learning from it.
1: Yeah, and I mean, I think conformity itself is, like, it's a huge problem on both ends of the spectrum. You know, yeah. interestingly enough, I'm not, like, the biggest fan of Bill Maher of the world, but, like, I watch his show from time to time, and I actually like it, and I think it's pretty good. So he said something the other night about how it was... Um, He said that actually he was almost aborted, that his mom wasn't sure about whether or not she wanted to have a kid. And so he said he's kind of sort of shaky on the issue of abortion, right? He doesn't really know which side to go on because of the fact that obviously he does believe that women's bodies are their own and that they have the right to do with them what they want. But then also the fact that he loves life and wanted to be born kind of sort of muddies the waters. So of course what happened was after he said that on Twitter there was this whole explosion about him being a bigot and about him being sexist, of course, right? So it's like, I mean, here's the thing. Bill Moore said this time and time again, he is for abortion, right? So he's not saying that this makes me against it, and he's not saying I'm pro-life. What he is saying is that I'm for it, but this is my reservation, the fact that, you know, yes, I wanted to have life, or I want to have wanted to have life at that point, you know? So it's so interesting how we, again, throw the baby out with the bathwater. Like, yeah. yeah,
0: and examples like that are very important to highlight. Mm-hmm. I'm really happy you actually used Bill Maher as an example here, mm-hmm. because when you actually break it down the way you just did you are again it's it's for anyone who's like watching this that's a demonstration of nuanced thinking Mm -hmm. he's clearly still for abortion but what he's saying is he wanted to live or he thinks he he also sees that um not to say pro-life side of things but basically that right right so for people to misinterpret it and you, when you see things like that, it's actually kind of disheartening because yeah. that that's kind of what is the inspiration for this talk. It's like you want to eliminate that as much as possible. Right. That misunderstanding leads to actually who knows? I mean, you could uh, see where it leads, right. but in general, you could you, in general, it, it's not a great place to go right. because that can have so many other repercussions, negative right. repercussions. Right.
1: Yeah, yeah, and I mean yes. I can tell you from my oh. no go ahead Jesse oh
2: okay well you're making me think of um, so a poem that I love uh, that you see tossed around a lot the Second Coming by Yeats mm-hmm. um, it and there's a line in it the um, the best lack all conviction and the worst are full of passionate intensity mm-hmm. um, yeah. and I don't want to say that like activists like I'm also pro-choice but uh, and I don't want to say pro-choice activists are the worst mm-hmm. but you think of these these activists um, and you, like. Here I'm a socialist, and I'm being like, you know, Nixon had a point, but he talked mm-hmm. about the silent majority, and there's something to that. Uh, he was talking about the Vietnam War, I believe, when he said that, mm-hmm. and I don't think there was a, a silent oh, right, majority
1: right, right, right in yeah. there.
2: But the idea that there is a silent majority, I think, is still a valid one mm-hmm. often because it's the people who are the most uh, agitated, directly affected by, like, or maybe even questioning, like abortion, eh, like euthanasia, these other things like life support. These are life and death, like, bordering life and death issues, and they are naturally going to be uncomfortable for people. And so I think that what the left often, like, I think we shoot ourselves in the foot by not realizing that some people are a little bit squeamish about these subjects, and for a reason, like a natural reason, and that we also feel like, yes, I do respect life. And I do think that like, it's wonder, like we like pregnancy is is, like, it's not a nothing that, that, that cell this dividing is not a nothing, but there's more to weigh here. Um, and we understand why you would have the feelings that you do. Um, and, and people have to struggle with these and possibly the reason that some, some activists like they've had, but you know, the other side of the story is, oh my God, pregnancy is scary. And raising a child is scary, uh, like deadly scary. Um, and so there's that side of the story as well. And it's just become so like, oh my God, everything is, these are really weighty issues. And, and those weighty issues are the ones that are the, the people I think have the greatest drive, especially if you're right up facing it. I just want to know what's right. I just want to make sure like this is either right or it's, or it's completely not wrong, Uh, like, abortion is either a terrible sin, or it's totally okay. Um, And you could say, like, it is, it is okay, but it's, it's uncomfortable for people. And like, how do you grapple with that? And I, and and surveys are always saying that the American public, that's where they are in abortion. So I wish the left would not be so out there with like, the like, shout your abortion, because that turns people away. They want to say like, oh, I'm, I'm uncomfortable with this, but I thought it through. And I think that it's, it makes more sense this should be legal it's better off that way um but it's also such a sensitive issue like if you've had one then you you simply just probably don't have the mental resources unless you're really like into this debate thing like you don't want to talk to someone about that because you've been there and had to make that choice um so so we get human nature makes these things messy i think
1: yeah, and conformity has really just sort of the dual cause of obviously wanting to fit in into one's group and then wanting simple answers for the simple fact of not wanting to feel tension, emotional yeah. tension. Yeah, yeah. So, I mean, conformity is always going to be a popular option for, I mean, the vast majority of people. And I can tell you I'm I'm very similar in that sense. It's not I'm not always a divergent thinker. There are times that I just want a simple answer just because I just don't want to, I want to get the issue over with. And it's not something I want to spend a lengthy amount of time thinking about. It's just that unfortunately, when it obviously becomes too long term that, I mean, there's just no way to live life that way. And I think divergent thinking something we touched on earlier is really connected to empathy and understanding why people do what they do. And it's not, th- the point is not that we should empathize with others to say that, to explain away or excuse their behaviors. It's never the point. The point is to empathize with them in order for us to actually understand why they're doing so that we can learn to live together. That's it. So, yeah. and that doesn't mean excusing
0: away their behaviors. And so, yeah. No. well, yeah, when you can integrate your point of view and their point of view mm-hmm. and come to some kind of an understanding, yeah, it's, yeah. it's possible. Well, yeah. And that mm-hmm.
2: You only want diversion thinking about 20, 25% of the time. Um, right. Then it's time to say like, look, we, we solve this problem. Stop brainstorming, stop getting into the nuance. It's time to move on. And I think especially with an issue like abortion, like this has been an issue for like decades and decades and decades so people just don't they're just tired
1: yeah and i wonder if maybe that was the backlash or why there was a backlash against bill maher it's like because it was such a settled issue for so long that people are like whoa 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 now he's giving us doubts and we don't want any of that Mm yeah yeah yeah
0: for sure yeah i mean hmm yeah, it's it's crazy to see uh, stuff like this um, in society, like what would ha- what happened with Bill Maher, and it happens a lot, and it, it continues to happen. Um, I mean, you see it all the time on Twitter. Let's say with the uh, trolls, yes. for instance, mm-hmm. like uh, all a lot of times, famous people, uh, not just famous people, even it doesn't matter, but in general, people get uh, misinterpreted all the time, and it's it's really hard for that person in the position who's giving out the message for them to stay uh congruent with being like authentic Mm -hmm. for instance like i could really sympathize with um let's say let's bring it back to bill Maher. let's say for instance if um I mean, he's he's a seasoned guy, so he's used to getting backlash. Oh, definitely. Yeah. <laughs> but say say he wasn't, right? Mm-hmm. Or say it's another person in that position. Mm-hmm. That's really tough to take so many different, uh, uh, like, uh, conflicting opinions yeah. that are based on just misunderstanding mm-hmm. that it really keeps you from trying to uh, push forward, like, a certain kind of message. Right. Mm-hmm. But it's my opinion that either way, you no, you have to still like take all of that mm-hmm. and still yeah. push what it is that you will believe is correct. You know, of course, after right. um, actually thinking it through, but...
1: And you know what's yeah. so interesting? I think when you said, I think that's really important. So understanding that the person is having a misunderstanding. So if I, obviously I don't know Bill Maher, but if I had to reason, I would think that the reason why he's able to tolerate the criticism is because there's a good chance he understands why they, well, that they do misunderstand and why they misunderstand. And I think for us and what we're talking about, the main reason I, well, again, sort of in my kind of perspective, is that people misunderstand because they do want simplicity. And black and white thinking is for us naturally as human beings to go-to Because if you think about it, and this is going to be sort of uh, kind of a little bit tangential, but evolutionarily speaking, right, we're not really sort of creatures who are meant or created to understand the world and the cosmos. Really, we're meant to survive. And if we're meant to survive, right? And if our brains are literally programmed to survive, then we're gonna want the quickest, simplest answer possible because that's the one that's gonna help us live another day, and obviously in the long term reproduce. So if we're sort of naturally black and white thinkers, and if we have a tendency and sort of propensity to misunderstand, then I mean I would hope that the cure, if there is anything or anyone for it, is to literally help people understand that it's okay to not know the answers to everything, and it's okay to sort of work with people who are against you in some sort of capacity. That it's okay to sort of talk about abortion in light of uh, our indeed with the understanding that this person may actually have valid reasons for being pro life. Whereas I have valid reasons and in my opinion again, because I am pro life I mean I'm sorry, pro choice. So that (laughs) could have been (laughs) bad. Because I am pro choice. (laughs) 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 So because I am pro choice, obviously I believe that my side is better. But there's also an understanding that Well, look at it like this, right? If we're talking about policies and legislation, in order for us to make them work, because Republicans aren't going away, conservatives are not going away, and at this point, right, conservatives, especially in terms of the Electoral College, make up the vast majority of this country, right? Not in terms of the population size, but in terms of their voting, right? Well, in terms of their voting power. And so if you think about it, we really do have to work with them, and there's no other way of getting around it. And so if we start lecturing and we start shouting down our ideas and opinions, what's going to happen is it's going to create a barrier, like has already been created. And so you have these people on the far right and these people on the far left and nobody's willing to hear one
0: another. What's funny is the whole time, uh, what would be interesting to have an awareness of is that we're all on the same team, Mm -hmm. like Team America or even Team World. If you you want to say we're all on the same planet. I wonder if (laughs) you boiling it down to just simply that Mm -hmm. is and because it's weird because when you're trying to reach like a general population, like Mm -hmm. a broad audience, Mm -hmm. To say a nuance point is a very, I wouldn't say it's a dangerous thing, but you will be misinterpreted because you're trying to get it out to a broad audience. Right. But, Absolutely. Yeah, but then does that mean that there has to be a structure to that simple thing that you're trying to say? Right. Like, is there a way to say something complicated in a simple way? <laughs> but I don't know. I've been, I, I've been thinking about it for a long time, actually. Right.
1: Or maybe we need to learn how to tolerate complexity. Yeah. Fair enough.
2: enough. Yeah. And I think that's going to be beyond a lot of people's, uh, I want to say capacity now that they're not smart enough to do it, but it takes energy. And some people are just like working hard and carrying a lot of these really heavy burdens and they're just not going to be able to do it. Um, and so I think, um, in terms of talking about a, a political issue that you're fighting for, like, let's stick with abortion. Um, the reason to think about, what these this what I've purported seems to be from polling to be a silent majority that's a little squeamish but is pro-choice like they're on our side but they're squeamish uh, occasionally. Yeah. Um, it's you 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 engage in that divergence and that creative thinking and that trying to find the nuance for a goal. That's the key thing. You there's a reason you're exerting the energy to try to understand this. You want to achieve legislation that makes it safe and legal for people to have abortions. And you want to achieve that with this squeamish population that we have. Um, So that's why you exert the energy, and that's why you try to understand the person where they're at. You want to achieve, let's say, a certain policy, and you want to influence the world affairs, and that's why the policymaker cares what their foreign counterpart is thinking. Not because they're like, oh, nebulous world peace, like, I just, you know, we want to go hang out and sing Kumbaya, like, (laughs) Um, no, it, it's not that. It's, you know, it's your selfish reason that you want to have, uh, you want to achieve this goal. And I think that's especially hard for a lot of activists who are facing the problem, like women who have had abortions, and they just don't want to be told they're murderers, and they don't have the energy for that. Right. Uh, so they they need to find, like, there's a difference between finding your group where you're safe, and your, your emotions are protected, and you can heal, and not that they need to heal, but, like, you don't have to be attacked, and going out on the front lines and trying to achieve a policy goal or a activist goal, and putting those two things separately and figuring out how to take care of yourself while also moving people who are different from you and putting the energy into trying to find these people who are different from you. Um, that, I think, is is the most fruitful place to spend your time and your divergent thinking. Um, in fact, I became a socialist because I thought that a lot of conservatives could actually be convinced to be socialist you just have to use different language and talk about values like one of my values oh that's good honestly well thank you that's i i want to think i'm right and it's just so, so hard it's really i mean I, I really don't like Tucker Carlson, but mm-hmm. he did give a great monologue about um. I whoa, mean, whoa, whoa, it got whoa into, Jesse, like, are, you advocating, yeah, what? are you
1: advocating for Fox News? Yeah, what? that? are you advocating for Fox News?
2: Yeah. Bernie Sanders went on Fox <laughs> News. And I was like, Yes, that is I'm I'm a Warren and Sanders fan and I don't I will not divide <laughs> between them. Like I just think they're both great. Um but Bernie went on Fox News and he talked to that audience and people are like, Well, maybe that wasn't the pure Fox News usual audience. Okay, maybe, but some of them were there. And you can talk to conservatives because I talk to conservatives about these ideas. And you can you can say them in ways if you really get to know them and what they think and what they value, you can express these ideas, especially, um, well, you know, you can express these ideas in ways that resonate with them, if you just get to know them. Uh, Not all of them. There are going to be zero-sum exchanges where one side has to win and the other doesn't. Mm -hmm. Uh, But often there is a way, like if you just understand, like I think uh, human agency is extremely important. Um, And so the capitalists have that, I think, really well tied up in their narrative. Like, well, the free market and like, you know, doing you're a free person and you can be in charge of your destiny. Um, And socialists are like talking about being bogged down by student loans and I agree with all of these problems Mm -hmm. Um, but they they aren't really talking about how um, you know you these giant companies have our um, like you have no say in your daily life Mm -hmm. and when a company moves out of town and leaves this you know Rust Belt and Heartland these farmers and stuff Uh, The farmers are not part of the companies, whatever, the economic forces destroy these towns where people are raising families, like family values, those sort of things that resonate with conservatives. And you just want to like work hard. You know, socialists can be for working hard. Like, right. we want to work hard, and we want to have the choice and the freedom over our work. But right now, it's so hard to make a living unless you're working for someone else. Right. And so, like, there are places that I wish that socialists would explore. And there are people in DSA, in, like, red states, who are actually doing this kind of work, which is wonderful. They're saying, like, no, look, we have values that more people than you would expect right. would agree with us. I mean, there are like Bernie Sanders got in trouble for having people switch from Bernie to Trump. But I think what people are not considering is the strong possibility that many of those people uh, were not going to vote for Democrat, but they were excited about Bernie because he was like, he was fighting the right people. He was... taking up the status quo and the status quo wasn't working for them they didn't feel right. like anyone was on their side
1: Right, and he campaigned for Hillary so he was absolutely anti-Trump during the presidential election and yep. so what all of this made me think about have you guys ever seen the movie One, Two, Three, the Billy Wilder film with James Cagney? Mm-hmm. No Oh so it's one of my favorite movies in the entire world so it was a comedy and so Cagney plays this um he was the manager of a Coca-Cola company at the time and of course in West Berlin mm-hmm. and so at the other end of the at the other end of this and this movie was like I think I think in 1960, and I think it was set in... What was it? I think it was set in the 40s. And then so obviously at the other end of the spectrum was East Berlin. And so this woman named Scarlett Hazeltine, which was like this Coca-Cola magnate's daughter, came to visit. And so he calls up Cagney's character and he's like, hey, by the way, you know, Scarlett's going to be here. We need you to take care of her. And he's like, oh, shit. And he's like, what am I going to do? Because she has like this notorious reputation for being like a Paris Hilton type where she's like this big socialite. And so she like pretty much does whatever she wants. And kind of from childhood, she never really had any care and she just did whatever. And her parents just sort of you know kind of had the nannies take care of her and then kind of shifted her off to boarding school But so the point was so essentially she did what she was kind of you know expected to do So she's like I'm going to East Berlin and he's like you can't do that and she's like yeah, but I don't care So essentially she brings back this communist kid whose name was I think Oscar Piffle And so Piffle was like this huge revolutionary and he was hilarious And so him and Cagney would always have like these really 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 funny interactions together And then so they were and the big point of the movie was that either one of them could not empathize with the other and then finally there was this really great scene where unfortunately it didn't end in a really positive way but i think the point was still made and it came across Mm -hmm. where so oscar was like he's like you represent literally everything that's terrible with the world he's like you capitalist bourgeois scum he's like look at all of this waste and he's like we we build rockets and he's like you guys build garbage he's (laughs) like our rockets fly up to the moon your rockets to miami beach and so so he makes these jokes and then so finally like I don't remember what happened exactly but like Cagney gets him in some way and so he's kind of like down on his luck all right because there was this like really big scene where Cagney ended up getting like um, CIA agents to kind of um so they implanted some uh, Mm -hmm. like some sort of capitalist like oh yeah some like uh, capitalist book of some sort and when he went to East Berlin they caught him with the book and so like he was viewed as a traitor and so Cagney's like aha I got you and so Oscar's like you know what it doesn't matter to me that he's like that you did this to me because even if i'm not in my particular side of the country one way or another i know what my values are and he's like and i believe in truth i believe in justice and i believe in the equality of all men and so cagney says congratulations you just quoted thomas jefferson george washington and abraham lincoln and he's like what he's like mm-hmm. who are these people <laughs> right and it really sort of was the point of the film that we are not as different as we think we are
2: yeah right. sure uh-huh. i'm writing down i've written down books and movies now i'm gonna like look all these up one okay, four,
1: you would love one two three you two, such a fun yeah. it was like one of the funniest movies i've ever seen oh my i'm God. definitely gonna look that up yeah
2: um so i realized like so we've been talking and we talked about the theory of positive disintegration and we we actually haven't discussed it um mm-hmm. uh, so let me throw that out there briefly mm-hmm. um by kasmir's dombrowski uh dobrowski is how it's written in English. Yeah. Uh, you know, spelling, but it's Dombrowski. Um, and this theory, uh, I just thought it was fascinating because, um, it is this idea that there are certain people, it doesn't happen to everybody. It's rare. Um, but a person who is, um, you know, going along, living their life and then they just start you know, um, and they're probably like, these are really sensitive people. Like if you're a highly sensitive person, you might find this really interesting. The idea of overexcitability. Um, you can look that up if you're interested, but the main point of of the positive disintegration is you start to have this sort of crisis where you realize that things were not as simple as you thought. Um, and maybe you do want to just have things be black and white, but you are cursed now to see the shades of gray. Mm -hmm. Um, and you go through this, like what? It's called a positive disintegration because it's you disintegrate and you have all these like neurotic symptoms that look like they're mentally unhealthy. But Dabrowski said this was actually mental health because it's a process you're going through to grow. Um, you know the the butterfly gets disintegrated in the cocoon and then or the, the caterpillar gets disintegrated and comes out a butterfly. That's um, not that seems like it's not good for the caterpillar, but actually it is because um, you then you're a butterfly. And so that's what you go through with these disintegrations. And it's to, to realize that, oh, I've now perceived multi-level paths. Um, he talked about, he has different, he numbers the levels and level two, um, where you've started to disintegrate is unilevel and you can't see which path is higher, or which path is lower. And he said that was the worst path because um, like people like commit suicide at that path they at that level they can't they they're they're in conflict and they can't see a way out and they can't figure out what the right path is but once you perceive the multi-levelness uh, then you can you can you know you should follow it maybe you don't always follow it but at least you you're aware of it and that helps you know you're probably still stressed out in like having negative mental health symptoms but you know that there's a way up and you know which way is up and you start trying to follow it and I think that in reality people have like a lot of mini dis- Excuse me. mini disintegrations, um, and it, we keep having to do that. And it takes so much energy. It's um, you know you I, I see this a lot with people who grew up on the internet. I grew up on the internet, but um, you know I was a, I had a web page in two, 1996 when I was 14. Wow. wow. But that wasn't that was unusual. My my dad was uh, a early adopter, a computer programmer. So, um, but now it's common, and we see kids like getting together and sort of bolstering each other's notions about the world. Uh, and this leads to a lot of different you know. To move a lot of stuff that's happening in the world, and like you know, these these uh, alt right things are all are also there. And the left, you know, the left is is a lot of young people coming together and, and bolstering their ideas. And I want to come in as a sympathetic leftist to be like, okay, I'm going to do like devil's advocate to you, like I'm going to play capitalist, okay, like answer, be, learn how to answer my questions. Right. But um, that is uh, uh, you with some of these kids I've talked to them, uh, they realize, wait a minute, they start asking the questions themselves oh, my group is like, I have questions, and I'm not allowed to ask those questions. I'm being thrown out of the group. And they have what I would call positive disintegrative experiences. So if you are a young person who is in a group, and you're, you know, online or your friends offline, whatever, and you have questions, and you're just starting to really like feel lost and broken down, I would suggest you look up. Um, A book called Living with Intensity, which is about positive disintegration, but it's not by Dabrowski, or some of Dabrowski's works himself. They're very dense, but uh, I would recommend them. Or look at Third Factor. I mean, that's what we write about.
1: Yeah, Um, I'm sorry for actually not mentioning that. I just realized that, like, after. So, yeah, so Jesse is the chief editor of Third Factor magazine, which is literally wonderful. So I hope all of you guys get to check it out. So Jesse, And how come you started for Third Factor?
2: Oh, oh, my goodness. Well, it's because – this theory of positive disintegration kind of got uh, abandoned. It wasn't being worked on anymore. And it, it is, there are things that are dated in it. There are, We know a lot more now than Dabrowski knew when he died in 1980. Yeah. Um, he went through all this stuff. Like, he's from Poland. He lived under Stalinism. Um, and he saw both world wars and he wanted to know why do some people, like, hide their heads in the sand and other people, you know, hide Jewish people in their houses at, at a cost to themselves, even though they're not Jewish. Uh, what's the difference? And he, he studied a lot of these people. He studied creative exemplars, and he saw that most of these creative people went through this disintegrative experience, this poor period of poor mental health. And um, you can get out of that. I would say, like, I've had periods where I felt like I like had mental health concerns, but uh, Dabrowski's theory made the most sense of them. And it was just like, okay, I'm not doing the right thing. Um, I need to get more involved. I meet my values are, are, I'm not living my values and living your values is the most important thing. Like more than living your dream, like living your dream is a little bit of a luxury, but making sure that every day your values are, um, you you know, you're in step with them. And so I thought this theory was really helpful to me. I'm also like really highly overexcitable. Um, I found overexcitability to be a great, um, a great lens to talk about without, I like, I don't have pathologies, you know, I, I, some people who, uh, this is a separate subject, but people who just want to be diagnosed with something like, oh, I'm autistic. Well, oh, you're not really autistic. You just want a name for why you feel weird. Mm-hmm. Um, ADHD maybe. ADHD is maybe related to uh, overexcitability. I, I'm not qualified to talk about that, yeah. but there's some interesting discussions going on. Mm-hmm. But anyway, you can just say I relate to overexcitability. I am a super stimulable person. Also, again, like I said, related to the highly sensitive person. Um, and I thought for a lot of these people, who are having these disintegrations, like in a group, but then it's not working. It's something is not going right, um, and it's a very independent thing. You're stepping away from the group, and you're trying to figure out how to either like to improve yourself first, and then see if you can come back in and re-influence the group to be the Martov who stands up and says, like, you guys are going to ruin this all. I won't be part of it. And hopefully to give a better uh, path forward i mean we can't blame marta for that he had been trying for a long time at that point mm-hmm. um but to be that that figure and i thought that the pos- theory of positive disintegration uh though it got derailed due to some like political stuff but maslow was buddies with marta or uh, Martov. maslow was yeah. buddies with the mm-hmm. <laughs> excuse me and liked the theory and like thought it was valuable um but it, it got derailed and i want it to come back i think there's something there that now that we know more about psychology um, it should be built on, it should be studied in more depth. And so there's really academic stuff out there about it. Right. I'm not a professional academic. Uh, I've done some training in psychology through work, you know, as a leadership analyst. Um, but I'm a writer and I can make things seem, uh, I can put it in common language, which is what I've been trying to do with third factor and make it shareable on social media so that maybe these ideas, can reach all of these teens who are struggling with things but in a new way in these online groups and having disintegrations. Um, I think it's a theory that has a lot to say to people nowadays. I think the political sphere is causing people to have disintegrations as they see their, uh, what they thought the world was like isn't working and they want to do something constructive, but they're breaking down and they want to rebuild. Just that, you know, phoenix rising from the ashes is is a thing that a lot of people are experiencing today in one form or the other. and. I think this theory will help people who are going through that. And though I'm no one else was doing it, so I made Third Factor, I founded it, and we have a lot of great writers. It's really popular in the Netherlands. So, mm-hmm. hello everyone who's That's watching. That's really the- cool. Yeah, they're yeah. really into it. Um, so, even though it was, Dabrowski was Polish, uh, yeah. so in Poland it is also like a thing that people know about. Yeah. And I think that the English speaking world should also be aware of the work of Dabrowski. So, uh, here we have Third Factor. Check us out at thirdfactor.org. Uh, it's 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 pretty introductory stuff, basic level. Uh, if you like that, then you can jump into the heavy Dobrovsky, you know, like primary sources.
0: Yeah. So, question: I, I, Towards the end of that article about positive disintegration, uh, mm-hmm. you mentioned briefly um, reintegration. Uh, is, okay. that some, is there like an article about that on Third Factor?
2: There's not yet, um, but we are sort of... Uh, I have one in um, that's going to be coming up maybe in the next issue, or uh, the author wants to work on it some more, but she's dis- defining what the third factor is, because the name comes from a, a concept in Dabrowski. First factor is like genetic, biological, innate impulses. Mm-hmm. Second factor is peer pressure of the environment. Like, it's nature and nurture. And the third factor is something on top of nature and nurture. It's your, the role of your conscience and your choices. Uh, that you you direct and of course those emerge from your your genes and your your environment like but it, it again it's like free will like is free will real uh, I don't know but we want to act like it is we're right. gonna
1: act And I mean, one can even argue in terms of the third factor that maybe partially it isn't sort of from your environment. Because if you think about like, let's say, you know, if you let's say came from a, you know, whatever, let's say racist, misogynistic background, and it's quite possible. And obviously sort of anthropologists and sociologists wonder how, but how is it that some people within that area, within those spheres can actually find empathy for the people that are devalued and treated as subhuman? And so from an environmental standpoint, it's very hard to argue, obviously, that their morality comes from the environment, because the environment's morality. Is that these aren't people and we're not supposed to treat them ethically but yeah. yet there are some people who are able to empathize with them saying like no that that doesn't make any sense to me
2: yeah so, for sure yeah, yeah these are is as far the questions like i as a consumer of, of research if not a performer of research i'm just like it's really interesting and it's very important to ask these questions and figure out why this is happening
1: yeah and yeah and in terms of kind of what was going on with you do you feel like dobrowski was somebody you found at a time when you desperately needed him
2: Um, yes, actually, um, I, uh, so I've always wanted to be a writer and now I'm a writer. Um, I do, so I, I quit the CIA and people are like, (laughs) why did you quit the CIA? And I don't, I'll probably write about this on third factor at some point. It's a very long and complicated story. (laughs) CIA is great. It's a wonderful place to work. I still have a lot of friends there. Uh, I miss it sometimes, but I didn't make the wrong choice. Um, there's basically it's that your, your life is very constrained when you work for CIA. And if you want to be a writer it's not the best place to work and if you you know uh, i'm not going to talk about that because i haven't gotten it cleared yet um, <laughs> but i cleared all Africa. the other stuff i've told you about and see that's right. an anxious thing like i'm a writer yeah, i want to yeah. talk about things oh wait i can't talk about that mm-hmm. um like when the whole russia thing was going on like i was just like i'm just not coming out because yeah. i don't want to like people are going to talk about it and i don't want to talk about it right. um that with after the election so um there's a lot of stuff like it's it becomes your world. Yeah. And um, the way, the one thing I will say is, I think of being a CIA officer, whatever type, it's like, you know, in, in the 1992 animated Aladdin, not the new one, mm-hmm. um, I don't know which is the new one, I haven't seen the new one, um, where the Aladdin is asking the genie, like, oh, well, you're a prisoner, and the genie says, like, oh, yeah, well, phenomenal cosmic powers.
1: <laughs> 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 yeah,
2: yeah, yeah. That's, what i felt like working there uh, as someone who wanted to be a writer and to be more of a public presence um not you know um so i i did decide to leave and that was an experience of positive disintegration i would say because i had to determine that wasn't like a black and white it was if i stay here life could be reasonably good and comfortable but i'll have these negative elements of my life uh is it worth it oh and it's scary to quit Because now what I do is I am a consultant and I do that part-time and the, I spend the rest of my time working on third factor, which we get like, you know, 50 bucks a month in Patreon, like way to go. That's a salary replacement. Oh wait. Um, but I'm still really proud of it. Like I'm more proud of the $50 a month we get on Patreon than I was of earning a paycheck from the government, even though it was a prestigious job. Um, and that's just me, you know, like it's not anything about CIA. Like I have wonderful friends who work there who are doing great things and, are very, you know, they're, they're really top notch people there. Um, but it is again it's like figuring out what do you have to give to the world and how can you give it? Uh, and so Dabrowski's theory will help you with that if you're kind of weird, you know, and quirky and divergent. And I wrote an article about being a divergent thinker at the CIA. That's a third factor. You can check that out. Um, that one I successfully overcame, but that was part of the whole, like finding how do you fit? And so regardless of whether your story, dear listener has to do with like crazy, like cool-sounding places like the Central Intelligence Agency, um, I think everyone, if you're kind of quirky, you may have to try to find a place to fit. And especially if you want to be a writer. Because I always knew I wanted to be a writer, but you can't just be a writer. Uh, especially nowadays with the journalism, like who gets paid to do that anymore? I was actively discouraged from going into that. And writing a novel, I spent so much time trying to figure out what I would do for my day job mm-hmm. that I didn't have time and energy left to write novels. So... Uh, I'm in a good place right now. I, I like where I am for the time being. Um, it's partly because like I, I I am married, which is amazing. I didn't think I would get married because I'm weird. Uh, <laughs> husband's weird too. So it, you could also that could happen to uh, to anyone out there who who feels quirky and like they don't fit. Um, just keep going and hanging in there and trying to to follow those values up and down. But it you may have a period of disintegration. Mm-hmm. And so I had a few periods that were related to that. What am I going to do with my life? All the things I want to do seem like you can't just get on the normal career path. I was so excited when I got, when I finally, I stumbled into working at the CIA. I was never aiming there, but they were recruiting at my uh, at my grad school. Like I was, I went to library school because I thought I want to be a writer. Like, I guess that's a place I could go. Well, that's not the right place for me. Uh, I kind of figured it out oh, by the end of grad school. But then the CIA was recruiting. I was like, total like left turn out of nowhere. Let's sign up for that. Let's see if I get in. Oh, I got in. This is really weird. Um, and it was a great experience and I'm glad I had it, but trying to find the way to what I wanted to do was hard and it caused me disintegration and it was hard for people to help me. They were like, but you, you seem to have a secure life. Like, why don't you just be happy with that? And,
1: um, that was, that was hard.
2: Right.
1: So I had disintegration. And so Alan, do you have any final questions for Jesse before we go?
0: Mm-hmm well uh yeah uh, say i want to check out third factor i've been sent a link by uh by leon um what's the exact url is it uh third factor dot com
2: dot org, dot org. Dot org. Mm-hmm. thank you yeah
0: yeah i'm speaking like as if i was the listener i'm actually <laughs> learning know? about it right now so i'm even going to write that down third dot org right. also i'm going to check business out business julius not a three, but
2: yeah third But dot org
0: yeah
1: and so and jesse do you have any final thoughts for our listeners before we go
2: um, wow. I mean, there's, there's so many diverse listeners out there. Um, I would just say that, you know, if you're having trouble finding your way, um, you know, if you're just keep going, um, don't stop because it, it gets harder before it gets easier, but that doesn't mean it will never get easier.
1: Yeah. And I'm, And I would say another great message from all of us would be that a lot of us are very similar. And sort of the thing that I find most the most common misbelief that I find with clients of mine and even just people that I meet randomly are that they believe that their issues that you know kind of perceived to be mental health issues are issues that they're the only ones who struggle with absolutely not I've written blogs about being a weird kid about being a dreamer Jesse has written blogs about this Alan has talked about it on various occasions you yes. know being <laughs> being the person. we'll th- be writing about <laughs> it in the future as well. <laughs> right so I mean we're all in some sense unique and we're all we all have our quirks and we all have the things that sort of make us not Conformist, and I think the main point of this particular show, hopefully, the main takeaway is that that's okay, and that being unique and being weird is absolutely okay, and especially being a divergent thinker is okay,
0: yeah, 100%. Yeah,
1: and so, Jesse, again, thank you so so much for coming on. Thank you, it was a lot of fun talking to you guys. And by the way, your place looks great. Oh,
2: thank you, yeah. like, there's a lot of boxes on the floor that you cannot see. No. I just moved, like, Are six you fully moved ago. in yet? What's that? Are you fully moved in yet? Uh, no there's still boxes
1: yeah
0: there are a
2: lot of boxes but then yeah we have a new house it's very exciting so yeah this is <laughs> my <right>. office guys <laughs>
0: <laughs> all right see Jesse, it was a pleasure Take have it. a great day thank you so you much
2: too. bye guys bye